26. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch, David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. The word of God for the people of God. Seated. It's a joy to be with you this morning and get to preach this Resurrection Sunday. We've had a beautiful time out at the pond. Uh, early this morning, watched the sun come over the between the, the mountains and just see the glimmering light on the trees and the water, and just had a beautiful start to our day, and it's continuing, amen? Amen. amen. I want to talk to you this morning, continuing from last week where we celebrated Palm Sunday, the celebration of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem and celebrating him as king and just continue that story and look at three basic happenings of the week that lead up to the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to talk some about the conspiracy to put Jesus to death, the cross, and the resurrection. So first, the conspiracy. Conspiracies and conspiracy theories are popular today. Uh, There are, an explanation of them might be that those who plot and plan 
to do people harm. Usually it involves scheming, robbing, stealing, and plundering. And Jesus calls uh, these people out. The Word of God calls conspirators out as wicked. But we specifically, not looking at the whole Word of God, but the life of Jesus, we see that that started early on, this conspiracy. Even Jesus as a a toddler, a newborn babe, and Matthew 2.13 says that when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. To the Magi had visited uh, the toddler Jesus. And this angel in this dream says, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Then in Mark, we have Jesus starting his public ministry, healing the man with the withered hand on a Sunday or on a Sabbath, which was Saturday then. In Mark 3, 5 through 6, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Conspirators. Early on in the life of Jesus, and even as soon as Jesus began his ministry, here we have the Pharisees and the Herodians coming together. They hated each other. They're coming together to plot wicked men coming together to plot to find out how they might kill Jesus. Conspirators. Psalm 71.10 says, For my enemies speak against me. Those who want to kill me conspire together. A lot of these psalms, um, David suffered through conspirators. Conspiracies have been around along. They plotted and tried for years to hunt David down and kill him. And these words both have to do with his life and the ultimate life of Jesus, of how they would conspire against Jesus. The psalms themselves begin with the words, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The conspiracies, the counsel, the plot of the wicked. Conspirators plotting to do harm, to raid and to steal. And Jesus was under that from the get-go. From Herod, couldn't even return till Herod died. Did he come back from Egypt? Plotting against the plans of God. And so we have Jesus in the last week of his life after coming in to Jerusalem on that donkey, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy and the praises of the people. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We have Passover happening. And at this meal in John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And in John 13, we read, 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he knew his time was come, he was in his final days, final days of his life. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Sounds like Jesus knows everything that Judas is up to. And the, the Word of God clearly says that he does. And in right in the midst of the biggest conspiracy the world has ever conspired, Jesus is unconcerned with their plots, with their evil, wicked plans, and he moves forward knowing all things are given into the Father's hands. And he washes the disciples' feet and he proceeds with God's will and plan for his life. Jesus does not fear conspirators. Jesus does not fear the plans of man. Psalm 2.1 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Psalm 2.4 said, He who sits in heaven laughs. He laughs at the plots and planning and scheming of this world. Bob Dylan, in his song, When He Returns, off of his album, Slow Train Coming, he says, Of every earthly plan that be known to man, he is unconcerned. He has plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns. God has plans and he's unconcerned with man's plans and plots and conspiracies, and so is Jesus in the midst of the betrayer. Jesus knows Judas and all those who conspire against him, and he's not worried. He's focused on the plans that the Father in heaven have, has for him, and he moves forward in the midst of the deepest betrayal anyone could feel. In experience, Jesus washes his feet and the feet of all of his disciples. But he finally says in John 13, 27, to Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. And Judas departs. Psalm 41, 9 prophesied this, Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Conspiring, evil, wicked men. But the cross comes into view, and the cross is that mystery that we sing about today. Christ crucified is God's power and God's wisdom. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought the plan of God before the foundation of the world, 
was a Roman crucifixion on a cross. That's the great mystery of our age. The cross. Christ crucified. The power and the wisdom of God in the midst of conspirators. 1 Corinthians 1, 17-19 says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, because the cross is the power of God. He goes on to say in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Are you being saved today? Do you know the cross is the power of God? Proclaim that. Proclaim that to the lost. Because that just sounds like foolishness to the world. A man dying on a cross thousands of years ago, what does that have to do with me? But for those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God right in the midst of the wicked conspirators of this world and all the schemes of the devil. They are crushed by the power of God through the cross. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent, I will frustrate. All of their plans, all of their ways, frustrated. But the plan of God for the cross fulfilled in His Son. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Rulers and their plans coming to nothing. But no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. We have a master architect, master chess player, who started his plan before anything that was made was made. Had his plan all laid out. No one can thwart his plan. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The death of the Messiah was a mystery. Even when Jesus spoke of his death, they asked, well, who is this son of man? Who, what are you talking about being lifted up? They understood like death on a cross, being lifted up. They were seeing that in John 12, uh, 34, the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. He sits on the throne of David forever. He remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? How can you say he would be crucified and die? How can you say this? Who are you? Who, who do you say? Who is the Son of Man? They couldn't understand the cross. They couldn't understand the death. It was a mystery veiled before them. Their eyes could not see. Their intelligence could not figure out. Even those who knew the word 
couldn't figure it out, couldn't understand it. God's wisdom and God's power of the cross. Jesus has a great conversation, presents a teaching, a sermon that we love today, and out of it comes John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever would believe it to Him would not perish but have eternal life. And the story that happens before that is that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. But Jesus, in verse 12, is trying to get through to him, and he says, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Basically, I'm the only one that can tell you what heaven is all about because I'm the only one that has come down from heaven. I'm here to explain things to you, but I can't even explain earthly things to you. How can I tell you about heavenly things, Nicodemus? You're supposed to be a great teacher in Israel, and yet you don't understand anything that I'm telling you. But Jesus gets through with the mention of the cross. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember that story, Nicodemus? Remember that when, when that happened? In the wilderness, and Moses, Moses lifted up that serpent. Nicodemus at least knew that story. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Telling him about the cross. The Son of Man must be crucified. The Son of Man must be lifted up like Moses lifted up that bronze serpent on that pole. Jesus went on to say that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The cross and the Son of Man crucified on that tree is what will bring eternal life. You see, when they looked up and they were being bit by these poisonous serpents in the wilderness, God commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent, this curse of this serpent, and put it up on a tree on a pole, on a standard, and hold it. The only hope you had if you got bitten was to look up at that pole. And if you looked up and saw that serpent on that pole, you would live. And Jesus says, you're not only going to look up to the Son of Man on the cross and live, but I will give you eternal life. It starts sinking in a little bit to Nicodemus. We see him reappear some later. But as he had promised Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head and as Moses lifted up that servant in the wilderness and that all who in faith looked at it would live, so God sent his only begotten son into the world, the seed of the woman, to defeat sin and death once and for all, to crush the head of the serpent. Oh, the power of the cross! Oh, the power of the crucified one on the tree is who we proclaim today. Jesus Christ crucified the wisdom of God and the power of God to save, to redeem, to cleanse you from sin. The only hope of the world, your only hope, your only peace in the midst of any storm that would come against you. 
A peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that's rooted in the cross of Christ. Oh, the power of the cross. Oh, the power of our crucified Lord. His plans veiled in a mystery. His own disciples unable to see. But we sing, come behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured. Love untold. The resurrection of this day that we celebrate validates everything that I just said that Jesus accomplished on the tree. The resurrection is God saying everything that my son died for on that tree is yours. He rose him from the dead and he said the cross has accomplished it. It is finished. And the resurrection announces that with glory. In our text today, the first sermon preached in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit when the disciples finally get it because the Spirit comes into them and reveals the things of God to them and they remember the words of Jesus and now they have the mind of Christ by the Spirit of Christ dwelling within them. Peter, the coward, denier of Jesus three times, now stands up in one of the biggest crowds gathered at Pentecost. And he says, I'm going to tell you what's happening right now. Listen to me. And he gets up and boldly proclaims, I think, one of the top sermons in the world ever to be proclaimed, written in God's Word to last forever. In Acts 2 that Keely read this morning, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. That's what we proclaim, the pure life of Jesus. Then his atoning death. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan of God and His foreknowledge before time began, before He created the first thing that He created. This plan was all His definite plan was the cross. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, wicked men, conspirators conspiring and plotting to kill. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Come on, Peter. Preach it, brother. It was impossible for him to be held by death. It had no right on his pure body, his pure mind, his pure lips that never spoke a word of harm, a hand that never made a fist, never hit our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
not a man of violence, but a man who stood boldly with courage more than any other man ever stood. He accomplished it. It was finished and it could not hold him. Peter preaches this sermon about David, like what they were asking in John 12. Hey, what do you mean be lifted up? You know, son of man supposed to be on the throne forever. Peter begins to preach, David says, concerning this Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter's going to answer, who's this talking about? Is David writing this? Yes. Is David saying that you would never abandon his soul to Hades or let him see corruption? Is this talking about David? Is David talking about himself? And Peter says, no, brothers. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb's right out there and he saw corruption. David was not talking about himself here. But David, therefore, was a prophet, verse 30, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Man, this is, you see the revelation pouring out now? Boy, you see eyes that can see now? Preach it, Peter, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. It was the Christ, this Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses of. Whoa, we've seen him. We've seen him raised from the dead. We've seen the Holy One whose body did not undergo corruption. We've seen him. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The resurrection is powerful. The resurrection was in the plan and foreknowledge of God. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. C.S. Lewis brings this out in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe when plan is crucified on the stone table and he is raised from the dead and Susan uh, they jump on him and they're, they're, they're shouting Aslan is alive he is real not a ghost he licks Susan's forehead and the girls are overjoyed and throw themselves on him kissing him repeatedly when they calm down Susan asks but what does it all mean Here's Aslan's words. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known 
that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack, and listen to this, and death itself would start working backwards. Lucifer couldn't see that. He was a created being. He had no idea the power and plan of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all his scheming, and all his scheming through man, all his conspiracies of man and of Satan, can never, will never, and did not ever thwart God's plan in the cross and the crucifixion and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died willingly for us. Jesus rose from the dead for a traitorous people, giving us forgiveness and pardon as traitors to our true king. And he turned death backwards and reversed it so fast that life starts coming until we have eternal life and live forever and death no more has a claim on you as a believer. Praise the Lord for the resurrection of Jesus. Defeated death and all of its sting, we said, saying about it this morning. Jesus, in the words of the prophet John in Revelation, the revelator John, in 21 verse 5 says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Behold, I am making all things new. The resurrection of Jesus defeated death. Death is working its way backwards. Now C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were friends. They were great writers. And in The Lord of the Rings, the last one, The Return of the King, Sam has this question and he says, waking up, after the victory of being able to destroy the ring, he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. And Tim Keller tweeted out this quote. He said, everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. Soak in that. All the sorrows, all the fears, all the tears, all the mourning of death and loss ultimately defeated and eternal life given where there will be no more mourning, no more tears, and no more sorrow. Yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue. This Christian eschatology recognizes that there is currently something very wrong with the world. It is a place that is filled with sadness, cursed by sin, groaning as it waits for its final redemption. And in the final consummation, those sad things will be made untrue. Christ's resurrection guarantees that and is a real hope for our future. God will destroy evil, and he will set all things right, and the resurrection says he has done it.
Jesus is alive. He is the king on the throne forever. Jesus is resurrected. Let us sing, O praise the name. Amen? You'll sing these words. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by a heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. We're going to sing this. You guys ready? Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the the King. Let us sing to Christ this King. Amen? Amen. Amen. As they come, sing this last song. You're invited to take communion with us. Jesus said to do this and to remember his death until he comes. He said do this and remember his death until he comes. In the instructions with communion, the betrayer is mentioned. It says in the night that Jesus was betrayed. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He was unconcerned. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat of this. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. Thank you, Father, for your definite plan in the body of your Son to bear the sins of the world in his body, to die for his people, a traitorous people, to pardon and forgive him by his cleansing power of his blood that flowed from the tree, from his body. We praise you and thank you for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, given for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. and Remember my death until I come. Let us partake together. Thank you for the power of the blood of the crucified Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you that it has the power to forgive every sin, every denial, every betrayal, Lord, of your people. Please forgive us and wash us clean and anew in the power of the blood, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.